Newgate's Knocker, and welcome to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses with your two hosts, Red Roll and JT. Au revoir, everyone, and uh, we're back again. And this week we are looking at Series 3, Episode 5, which is May the Force Be With You. This aired on the 8th of December 1983, ran for 29 minutes and 28 seconds, apparently, and had 10.7 million viewers. So we're creeping up ever so slightly each week, Red Roll, with the viewers. We are indeed. And to be honest, I'm glad this one had a good viewership because uh, it's one of our personal favourites. And it is, of course, the uh, introduction of one Roy Slater, uh, Del Boy's nemesis, who only appears in three episodes. But he is played by uh, the legendary Jim Broadbent, who was originally going to be Del Boy before David Jason. Yeah, indeed. And I was actually thinking about this in the shower this morning. So that's how sad my life is. Um, <laughs> I'm just wondering if, obviously... Um... Uh, John Sullivan wanted to cast um, Jim Broadbent as Dale originally and obviously shooting conflicts and I think he was doing some theatre work as well at the time. He couldn't do it. I wonder if um, John Sullivan always wanted to get him back in to have a role in, in Only Fools because obviously he's in the three episodes, but I, I reckon he always wanted him in there at some point. Yeah, he must have done. I mean, we've said it before and obviously we're touching on this episode. I love Slater and I love Jim Broadbent, what he brings to the character and the way him and David Jason interact with each other. But to be fair to old Jim Broadbent, I mean, yeah, it would have been weird to have, you know, in one way I like, you know, in an alternate universe to have seen what he would have been like playing Del Boy. But in not playing Del Boy, I mean, the guy's had a fucking amazing career, hasn't he? He's been in loads of like big Hollywood movies and stuff and he's still going like today. He just keeps cropping up in all these random movies and every time I see him, I'm always like, Slater. It's not fucking Jim Broadbent, it's always Slater. It's crazy, isn't it? I guess that's the, the character we know him best for, even though he's only in three episodes, just because obviously the the fandom we've got with Only Fools. Quite randomly as well, um, I watch Pointless every night while I'm eating my tea normally. And um, if there's ever a TV question in the, the Pointless final, and I don't know the answer, I just say Jim, Jim Broadbent, because as you know, he's appeared in so many things. At some point, he's going like, to be a Pointless answer. And... Fact alert, it has actually been a pointless answer for Only Fools and Horses when they asked for um, actors who had been in three or more episodes. And obviously I said Jim Broadbent because I knew it was right and he was actually a pointless uh, answer. Oh, amazing. Um, that's actually strange because we've said before, like the side characters that turn up in Only Fools, even though they only appear like once or like, even old What's-Her-Face last week, I can't remember her name. Um, is it Heather? Maybe, I don't know. Um, oh, no, um... Yeah, I can't think of a name either. Fuck yeah. me. But yeah, the, the antiques dealer. That's the <laughs> I've one, totally yeah. forgotten her name. <laughs> and it's only a week Miranda. Before. Miranda. That's the one. Yeah, but even like characters like her, like when she turns up, like they're quite memorable and I think they're good. But um, uh, Slate is one of those kind of, he's a bit in the middle, isn't he? Because sometimes you have the characters that just turn up for one episode and they're part of the story then we never see them again. We've got the ones that kind of come back and forth and later become mainstays, like, you know, your Mickey Pierce and all that stuff. The Slater is literally just dedicated three episodes, isn't he? This is his introduction. We get a trilogy of him, then he's into Hull and back, and then um, he's in series seven, I think it's when we last see him, in the class yeah. of uh, 62, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously he's 
got a massive part to play in Dell's life. Um, we won't go into it now, but I'm sure everyone knows um, he was married to somebody who becomes very important in Dell's life. Um, another character I like in this episode, he only appears twice with Slater, is old um, Terry Hoskins, his uh, sort of sidekick. And the guy who played him, Christopher Mitchell, who's in a few bits and pieces here and there, um, he died in 2001. He was only t- uh, 52 when he died, so he was very young when he died. Oh, shame. I wonder, I can't remember what year... What day did what year did um class of sixty two air? Do you remember off the top of your head? Because I was wondering like he's in nineties nineties was it? So he might have been around. Yeah. I did wonder why it would have been nice if they got him back and because I quite like Hoskins and obviously he's yeah. in there. He's into Hulling back. He's obviously quite a big factor in that one. And um class of sixty two. I always thought it would have been nice if they'd have brought Hoskins back somehow just to kind of round it out a bit. Yeah, I mean obviously. Slater's completely changed in class of sixty two. He's not a copper anymore or anything. So I'm not sure how they would have shoehorned him in. Um, but yeah, he he would have definitely been around then. He, apparently, and again, this is coming from Wiki or somewhere, and I, I have spoken about this before. He apparently is also the uh, comedian in Little Problems that Rodney Stagg do. Um, I haven't got any verification on that, but apparently that's him as well. Oh wow! Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look out for that again. Because I remember the comedian looking nothing like the way Hoskins no. looks. I mean, granted, I know he's got a mustache and he plays Hoskins. He could easily shave, but. I remember Hoskins is quite a big bloke, I think. And then the comedian, I remember being quite small. Yeah, exactly. Um, I definitely have read that somewhere. And so obviously when we come to that episode, maybe we'll look into it a bit more. But that's a few weeks down the line yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're digressing a little bit here. Let's <laughs> get back on track a bit. But yeah, it's um, part of the uh, the whole saga of Slater that JT and myself do enjoy quite a lot. Indeed. So um, should we run through the old synopsis there, Bread Rolls? Again, pulled from Wiki. It's not a bad one this week and I've broken it down. A little bit. So we'll, we'll have a look at what happens in the episode. So Roy Slater, duplicitous, mean-spirited police officer and hated ex-schoolmate of Delboy, has returned to Peckham, where he's been tasked with tracking down a stolen microwave. He meets Trigger and Boise, both uncomfortable by his return, in the nag's head, and announces that he has recently been promoted to Detective Inspector. He begins talking to Rodney, who is unaware that Slater is a police officer, and he tells him that he's an old friend of Dell's. Rodney invites Slater back to Nelson Mandela House to reunite with Dell to Dell's shock. After spotting a suspicious microwave in the Trotter's flat, Slater arrests Dell, Rodney and Grandad. So that's kind of the whole opening part of the episode. We get the introduction to Slater and um, I think it's quite funny. We'll talk about it in depth, I think, in a minute probably. When old uh, Trigger and Boyce are sort of doing it behind Rodney's back, trying to tell him who he is. I think that's quite, quite clever and quite funny. Yeah, yeah, it is good. It's a really good opening. It's a solid episode all the way through. But yeah, there's really good banter here. One thing um, I noticed straight away is when, like, this is proper trigger, isn't it? Like, he's mm. he's literally on point now. And at the, at the start, I mean, there's loads of funny lines in this one. But Rodney's obviously trying to sound like all cool and that, talking about this girlfriend that he's got. And he's like, I told her, don't try and tie me down. We'll shoot all that issue then, Dave. But it's just like loads of fucking shit going on. And Rodney's there in his raggedy-ass leather jacket that looks like it's got like fucking lice or something eating it. Yeah, I've actually got that exact line written down in my notes here. And obviously, um, Rodney goes on about, I said, where I lay my hat, is that that's my home. Have you got a hat now then, Dave? It's <laughs> fucking brilliant, isn't it? And then Rodney's trying to tell Trigger about this girlfriend of his, and Trigger just keeps butting in about this story about how he lost his hat at a party. Yeah, and it had my return ticket in the brim. And he's like, what, what colour was your hat? Plumstead. <laughs> he's like, what colour was your hat, Dave? Pink. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing as well. Um, obviously, Slate has been drafted in 
to, to the area because he doesn't normally patrol this area. And they seem to be thinking his stolen microwave is a big crime. I mean, nowadays, it'd just be a slap on the wrist, wouldn't it, for nicking a microwave? It's nothing. But I suppose back then, maybe it was a bit of a bigger crime. And I guess he's probably looking for who stole it, so there could be sort of bigger things going on. But it just seems quite funny that he's stolen microwave is like such a big crime. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine Slater would use it as any excuse to come back to the area, like the parish and that. And um, so obviously any excuse to look for Dell and you know, like stitch him up and stuff. So yeah, imagine he use it as an excuse, but they do make it out like someone's like robbed the crown jewels, don't they? The way they're going on about <laughs> it. Like I say, it's ruddy microwave. No one, no one gives a shit. The fucking Boise, when he turns up, um, I think it's the first time we've seen him since a losing streak. Yeah. Um, but he's still dressed just completely in fucking brown. He just looks like a turd. Then he's got this stupid <laughs> fucking tie that's got like, these little white dots on it. It looks like a bunch of like fucking milky bar buttons or something on his tie. He looks, his fashion is horrendous. <laughs> yeah, also another thing I, I'd never really thought of before, and I've, I've noticed it, but never really registered. Slater's fucking drinking on duty. I'm assuming he's actually on duty while he's in the pub, and he's having a couple of scotches. Then he goes back to the flat and he has a beer, although he hardly touches that. But, I mean, you wouldn't get away with that these days. Maybe if you're in government, you might, but not in the police force. The government definitely do it. But, um, yeah, I was thinking that as well, because he goes in and gets triggered to make, buy him a large scotch, doesn't he? Um, yeah. I, I love the bit as well when he's like, because he's like hinting that he knows that Boise's doing like, um, what, selling videotapes. And he's like, oh, Boise's selling videotapes now. I heard they were pirate tapes. Oh, yeah, I saw Treasure Island, Mutiny on the Bowl, that sort of thing. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cool comeback. Yeah, his old Monkey Harris gets a mention in this episode again, doesn't he? Um, Slater asked Trigger if he's still knocking about of old Monkey Harris. So if we get another mention of him, we never do see him. That's true, yeah. One thing I did like about this, just as I mentioned, um, as I mentioned there, um, uh, losing streak. Like, obviously, Slater's obviously putting the fishing line out there. He's trying to, like, get some bait. You know, you heard from Dell, you heard from this person, that. And even Boise, like, as much as, obviously, what they stitch each other up with the last time, Straight away, he's covering for Dell, isn't he? Like, I think they're all combined when it comes to dealing with Slater. They all know he's a snide and wouldn't stitch each other up up to him. Yeah, I thought exactly the same thing there. I was going to put it in my notes. Um, that um, Yeah, Boise's genuinely trying to fucking deflect him away from Dell. And even Trigger suddenly becomes very much less dopey when he's sort of on point and he, he kind of has to be a bit more on guard of what he's saying. Even he's like, no, don't know anything, don't know anything. Doesn't slip up at all, does he? No, he doesn't. Um, again, it's just I suppose they're just all extra wary of um, oh Roy, aren't they? But then old fucking dopey Rodney gets taken. And one thing I will say, like obviously we know Rodney's dopey, but Jim Broadbent, yeah, he's a good actor and stuff. But the way he plays Slater is so good. Like the way you can just his facial expressions and the way his eyes are moving when he's trying to sort of like trick Rodney into stuff and talk to the other guys. He's really good at it. Yes, he is very good. And um, obviously Rodney doesn't know who he is, so he's got no real reason to suspect him, even though. Trigger and Boise are being fucking weird, which obviously Slater blames on the booze because Rodney does question why is everyone acting so weird? Because when um, Boise sees Rodney and he goes over and shakes his hand, he's shaking his hand for about half an hour. He's like, oh, hello, Rodney. And he's like, you saw me last night. He's fucking properly shaking his hand. He nearly rips it out of his socket at one point. Yeah, and then they got like, they say, when Trigger's leaving, he's like right behind Roy, like pointing, like, oh, he's a cop, he's a snide. And then Slater turns around and he like does something with his eye, and you would have thought Slater would be like, what the fuck are you doing? But he obviously just brushes it off. Yeah. Speaking of um, characters getting mentioned in this episode, someone else he gets to mention, and might be the first time we've actually heard her by name, is Marlene. Um, obviously, we don't see her until series four, so we've still got a few episodes before we actually see her. And there's a bit of an inconsistency here. And I must admit, I picked this up from the Only Fool's Wiki. I didn't really pick it up myself. 
So they mention obviously Marlene and then boys, um, Trigger, uh, Trigger, I'll get it right in a minute. Slater says, oh yeah, all the boys knew Marlene. But that's a bit inconsistent because in an episode very much later on, they talk about Marlene and they met her in the betting shop in Laverick Grove, don't they? So there's definitely a bit of an inconsistency there. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't clock on that, but I'm obviously picked up on a bit of them talking about Marlene because um, he's like, oh, it's Marlene. And Boise's like, oh, yeah, she's still the same. Dear, oh, dear. Like, always oh, that kind <laughs> of like thing going on. And Boise does his kind of acknowledgement and then stops and turns like as if someone just, like, he just clocked what they said. But yeah, it's a good show, actually. Um, I did pick up on that, but nice one. Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't me personally. It was on the Only Fools uh, wiki fan page. But I thought, yeah, that's right. It's a bit... And I've always thought that scene in that episode, I think it's um, the episode where Dale meets the woman in the dentist, which name now escapes me. I've always thought that scene was really unnecessary, but obviously we're digressing to a future episode again there. Yeah, yeah, I know I know what you're talking about, though. And um, like I say, we will get there. But um, yeah, it's pretty good the way this episode opens. And I think it's just... It hits the ground running like this episode doesn't really give up um really i mean that's only just the start of it but it gives you so much to begin with and we obviously get you know we get trigger we get um boise in there so we get a nice range of characters within the first couple of minutes yeah we do and just before we go on to the next part of the synopsis which kind of cuts this bit out obviously the um slater goes back to the flat with rodney and dale's face when he sees him when he says um well, he just walks around the door and Dale's got that train in his hand. He drops it. It's genuine fucking terror, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, and I love that link because um, Roy, uh, Rodney's like, oh, I'll call Dale and let him know you're coming. And Roy's like, no, no, it'll be, um, well, you know, spoil the surprise. Then Rodney's like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see his face when you walk in. It will be a picture, Rodney. And it uh, certainly is. It doesn't um, fail to live up to what he uh, recommends. Yeah, I like the way, again, Jim Broadbent there says these lines where obviously Rodney doesn't realise the true meaning of why he says it will be a picture. Rodney thinks, oh, yeah, Dale's going to be happily surprised, but obviously Slater knows the truth. Uh, and yeah. Dale, when they get back to the flat, he's kind of like half-dressed smart. He's got like a shirt and tie on, like that red and white striped shirt. But he's got jeans on. He's kind of half made an effort. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit odd, isn't it? And fucking granddad, like they've got the, um, the microwave oven. It's on the back counter. And he's there pissing around a bit, isn't he? He's like, I'm trying to get the Dukes of Hazard. And it's like, yeah. I know he's obviously there for a punch time. It's like, dude, you've already got like three TVs sat in front of you. Why'd you be like <laughs> trying to get a picture on a TV, what you think is a TV that's fucking behind you? Exactly. And as we've said before, they only had three channels back then. So it wouldn't have been like him without been watching Channel 4 or anything. He would have had nothing else to watch. I mean, it's quite a good line, though. It's probably Grandad's best line in this episode because he always has one line. Yeah, yeah, he does. And one that I do like is... um. When they point out when Dell obviously drops it in, it's like, oh, you know, how's the police force treating you? And then Rodney and um, obviously Grandad click that he's a police officer. And then he mentioned that he nicked his own dad. And I love Roy's response. He's like, if I could have found a way to avoid it, I would have. But his real light was defective. Yeah, he only nicked. I borrowed the bike down the fish and chip shop. It's like yeah, fucking hell. Roy. <laughs> and then Slater, he does this again in class of '62. He kind of uses that whole "I've changed" spiel, doesn't he? Sort of plays as sort of martyr a little bit just before he nicks them yeah i thought that i was going to put that in my notes but um you're right i was thinking the same thing it's like he has played this card before and um obviously they're in the, the pub when they meet him in the class of 62 not in there was flat to start with um but yeah it's kind of um roy's kind of calling card isn't it to try and lure them into a false sense of security yeah yeah exactly so we shall move on bread roll at the police station, Slater interrogates the trio about where and from whom they acquired the microwave. In an improvised story, they state that it belonged to an unidentified deaf man in the market who dropped it. 
Delrodney and Grandad are grilled separately, giving vastly differing descriptions of the man in the market, disagreeing on height, age and ethnic group. When Slater briefly leaves for the canteen, his partner, PC Terry Hoskins, whose mother it emerges, has recently bought a gas fire from Dell, advises Dell to sell, tell Slater the truth about the microwave. Slater returns with Rodney's criminal file for possession of cannabis and makes a veiled threat that drugs may be placed on Rodney, meaning both he and Dale would go to prison, leaving Grandad alone and at risk on the estate. Dale refuses to give the name of the person who stole the microwave until Slater prepares to have the charge sheets typed up, whereupon Dale offers Slater the name of the thief, provided that he, Rodney and Grandad, are granted immunity from prosecution in writing and released without charge. Realising how much leverage being an informant would give him over Dale in the future, Slater happily agrees. So this is quite a big chunk of the episode now where they're in the police station. This is where the sort of banter between Dale and Slater really becomes decent, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff here. And it is, most of this episode is now, like you say, in this um, the police station, in, like with Dale in the kind of interrogation room, if you will, Slater's office. Um, the only thing left really is like how the kind of like the punchline or the end of the episode really comes about. But yeah, there's some amazing banter here and those descriptions they give of the guy who stole the bloody microwave is amazing i think it's like was it um like you see like a cut of them all giving different descriptions and then slater reads it back and he's like oh i'm looking for a six foot seven dwarf aged between 15 and 50 a white male of oriental features who's as black as newgate's knocker it's fucking ridiculous (laughs) it is really cleverly shot the way they just each one of them gives a completely different description sort of line by line and when this episode is shown on gold, they have to say about there's some outdated language in this one, which I'm assuming is the uh, the Black is Newgate's knocker line. So apologies if we do offend anyone with that, but it is a line in the programme and gold have to apologise for it because obviously probably isn't very PC these days. Um, but I like the bit where Dale was trying to bribe Roy and he says, I'll give you 50 quid and you let us go. And so he's like, you what, Dale? I said, I'll give you 50 quid. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah that is amazing <laughs> and again it's great acting because even Rodney's like shut up Dale um, yeah. there's another bit when they're asking him it's like what about his ethnic group oh I didn't notice anyone with him <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, was he Caucasian oh no he was a white fella I think it's granddad who says that isn't it and yeah. I love Slater the way he just says this and they think they've got away with it when they say about the microphone falling out of his pocket when Slater's like oh yeah yeah that makes sense and they Rodney and Dale both look at each other and think yeah we got away with this and he comes out with you know, you're walking along the street thinking of other things. You put your hand in your pocket and bang, your microwave falls out. It's fucking brilliant the way he delivers that line. Yeah, no, it is really good. And these two just bounce off each other so well, considering, as we said, like Slate is only in three episodes. Like Every time he's in an episode, the like the chemistry between him and David Jason is so good. I absolutely love this like back and forth between them as it pretty much makes up the crux of the episode. And it's so good. Yeah. There's another thing Slater says, which comes to play a lot later on. He says about um, Boyce again selling pirate tapes. And he asks him where he lives on King's Avenue, um, which is obviously where Rodney pretends he lives to Cassandra and Yuppie Love a long time down the line. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, again, the bit that made me laugh, it's like, um, because he's talking about like the pirate videos again. It's like, what number in King's Avenue does he live? Oh, I don't know, but it's the one with the Jolly Roger flying over the house. (laughs) Again, it's like like, (laughs) pirate joke going on. Yeah, and they keep on the pirate theme, don't they? When Dale's talking about being at school and he used to make Slater, well, Slater says about they used to make him walk the plank all the time and he wanted to be Bluebeard. And Dale's like, we did let you be Bluebeard once. Oh, yeah, I remember. That was the day that Bluebeard had to walk the bloody plank. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, there's a pirate theme. Maybe like John Sullivan watched like Treasure Island before he wrote this episode <laughs> and just took those in with him. I mean, he is obviously, as we know, with the episodes, he's very much inspired as a writer by like things he's read in the paper and things he sees, isn't he? There's so many tones that go throughout these episodes as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, there's another couple of bits where Slate is talking about things that happened at school um, and Dell as well. When he says that about the itching powder and Dell made them stop at his belly button. I think Fatty, someone's with the guy that's mentioned in Trigger, were putting this itching powder on Slater. And then another time when Slater caught Dale Boy behind the bike shed, but it actually turned out to be his sister. And he reported him to the headmaster, didn't he? So they've obviously got a lot of um, past going right back to school. Yeah, and they do touch on that again, going a little bit sidetracked, but looking at Rock and Chips, they do, that kind of kicks off around the time that they're just kind of finishing school or being kicked out of school and they sort of like, we get to see a bit of a young Slater and the fact that them lot just mug him off and he keeps coming cropping up throughout that show as well. Um, but yeah, obviously they just, they were never friends in the first place. No, I mean, no one likes Slater, even the coppers. Um, Terry tries to help Dell and says the only people that hate him more than the criminals are us coppers. So, I mean, it's well known that no one fucking likes Slater. Yeah. So as well, and when um, Slate is um, threatening the stitch, well, not stitch, but obviously put some charges against Rodney and then send both Delboy and Rodney to prison and then leave Grandad alone on the estate. And he says, oh, I'm just looking at his uh, record here. He's a bit of a scoundrel, wasn't he? Caught in some tart's bedroom puffing on a rocking woodbine. <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's a couple of bits here, actually. So if Slater is planning on planting drugs on Rodney, uh, Rodney fair enough, but how's Delboy going to go down for that? Unless he's still going to charge him with the microwave, which they haven't got any proof of at that point. And also, it's a bit of an inconsistency. Slater says that line you just said there about him puffing a Jamaican woodbine. And he says about when the police burst in. But in actually the episode Big Brother, it turns out it was the uh, university sort of authorities that caught Rodney. I think they were doing an inspection. So it's definitely an inconsistency there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good shout. Again, I I didn't clock that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, And again, as well, it's like, because obviously Terry, um, old Hoskins, he says about like you know how he what Slater would do when he finds out who's nicked the microwave. He's like got a whole um like drawer of like unsolved cases, and he'll pin all of them on the person and that. So that kind of brings back, although we said obviously there's not much to go on with a microwave oven. I doubt they'd even put him in jail for it. But that's obviously what Slater's looking to do, isn't it? Is pin all that stuff on Dell. So I guess he could probably put him away for at least he says a year, doesn't he? I mean, put him away for. Yeah, that's a good shout actually, Redwell. Yeah, I forgot about that a bit, even though I've only just watched this episode. And just going on, there's a line where Dell obviously says how much he hates Slater and he says he knows a lot of coppers and they're all good blokes, but he doesn't really like them, but he obviously respects them. Um, an episode we, we watched a few weeks ago now, um, the Russians are coming. Obviously, he bumps into that copper when they're trying to do the four-minute warning and they seem to get on quite well. Don't, don't they? The copper's asking Dell if he knows of any stolen clothes he's going on holiday. So it just shows that Dell does sort of, you know, I mean, he sold Ter- Terry's mum a dodgy fucking fire as well, isn't he? Or whatever he sold her. So he obviously does uh, deal with coppers as well. Yeah, and we've said before, although Dell is obviously a complete crook and a criminal and stuff, he's not. He like he never steals from anyone. Oh no, theft is theft. I'm not saying you're like you should really justify it, but like he never takes from anyone who couldn't afford to have a taking. Will he never stitch up someone on his estate or someone who's like poor like them or anything? And like you say, you got to kind of play a fair game. Um, so he's yeah. not like a kind of an evil criminal. He's just someone who's had to live that life as a necessity because of, obviously, he's got nothing else, has he, really? That's his only way of, like, keeping his head above water. Yeah, exactly that. And just before we move on to sort of the twist, if anyone doesn't know what happens, when Dell does sort of give that spiel to Slater that he'll be a grass for him and everything if he gets immunity, 
Slater probably thinks he's got Dale by the balls. Obviously, he hasn't. Dale knows what he's doing. Um, but it's brilliant. Slater's face, he just looks so fucking happy. Yeah, his reaction is really... It's, it's fucking almost seedy, isn't it? Because Dale was like, I'll be one of your grasses. He's like, oh, Dale. Dale, boy. It's like, fucking hell, he's getting a bit aroused here just by this mere thought. <laughs> how much they fucking hate each other. But again, like you say, the, the facial expressions, the back and forth banter and the acting is really top quality here. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So we'll get on to the, uh, the twist of the episode, if anyone doesn't know what happens. So with all the paperwork drawn up and signed by the superintendent, Rodney and Grandad are led back into the interview room to see a crestfallen Dell as he prepares to sign it. He tells them of his predicament, explaining he has no choice but to cooperate, with he and Rodney facing the possibility of a long prison sentence and Grandad being uncared for on the estate. He signs it and is asked by Slater, who nicked the microwave from the back of the lorry? After further reassurances of his immunity from prosecution, Dell confesses that he himself was a thief and confidently holds up the immunity document at Speechless Slater. So it's actually um, quite a clever plan from Dell and one that actually works for once. I've literally got the exact same thing written here. Dell has a really good plan for once um, in my notes. And you're right, it's really well thought out and executed perfectly. Although the one flaw I do see is like he... Um, He's like going, who's the mush who nicked the microwave? And Dell like picks up the paper and he's like, I did. Surely Slater being the scoundrel that he is would just rip that paper up and sort yeah. of shred it or whatever. You, I know it's a good punchline for the episode and it ends on Jim Broadbent pulling the really stupid face. <laughs> surely, obviously, we know how crooked and how much of an asshole Slater is. He would have just torn that paper up, surely. Yeah, he would have done. And I'm sure there's there's some kind of get out there. If Dell then admits to it, you know, that, like say he'd have ripped it up or there'd be something there that it'd be like, right, okay. Sorry, mate, but um, I'm still nicking you for it. I do like that line when, um, I can't remember what it's about now, but uh, Rodney says, that's against the law. I think it's one about Rod- um, Slater's talking about stitching uh, Rodney up with the drugs. And Slater just turns around and goes, phone the police. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's great the way he does that. <laughs> one thing um, I thought was strange as well, because like, the granddad and Rodney, they're, they're free to go. They've been sat in the hallway waiting while I'll see Del Boys and Slater are sort of like making their deal as it were and then um what is it uh, Slater kind of like he comes back with a coffee and he's like oh Del Boy's about to um you know tell me you know who the person is and they're like no he'd never do that and he's like well come in and have a look then and then when like um Rodney kind of like sees Dale's about to do it, he's like what are you doing I can't believe you're going to do this and I thought it was a bit strange because at this point yeah Rodney doesn't know that Dale's doing it to obviously keep him out of jail and obviously save granddad basically there's the bigger picture but Rodney's usually the fucking voice of conscience. He hates all the illegal stuff that Dell does and yeah. moans about it. So he's obviously kicking off. And it's like, well, technically, he's doing the right thing for probably the first time in his life, really. Um, and it's always a bit odd yeah. that Rodney was kicking off about that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Actually. I didn't think of that. I mean, that was really since... When he's telling Rodney about why he's doing it before actually the punchline and Rodney realises why he's doing it, it's very believable that he is going to give himself, well, give the guy up. Um, I mean, I'm assuming Rodney knew it was Dale who nicked it in the first place. We don't really know, do we? Yeah, well, we've said before, Rodney's so fucking stupid. Like, he knows Dale literally nicks everything. But whenever something new comes into the house, Dale just goes, oh, no, no, I've got it off of bankrupt stock or something like that. And Rodney just believes him for some reason. And it's like, come on, you know everything Dale gets his hands on is crooked one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking this, and I've got this in my notes. Dell's normally the receiver. He's not normally the person who actually nicks stuff. I think in the episode with the butterfly, when he's nicking the doors, he says that he and Rodney were chucking them out of a window. 
Um, but normally he's not the one who goes and steals stuff, but he obviously is pretty much the receiver of the stolen goods. That's true, yeah, because even the one where they, um, what is it, when they, the yellow peril, isn't it? Like he gets the paint off trigger and it's triggering monkey hours. He went and ripped it off of the old subway train and everything. So like I say, he's kind of like the intermediary, like the middleman, isn't he? He kind of like gets it from dodgy people and flogs it for a profit. Yeah, I guess he tries to keep his nose clean from the actual theft, um, like just being a middleman, like you say. And um, I'm not sure if Rodney would have known that Dale had stolen it because obviously he's down the pub while all this is going on with Slater. And depending on when Dale actually nicked the microwave, I'm assuming it was fairly recently because Grandad's obviously still playing with it in the flat. Yeah, because he comes back, I thought, um, piques Slater's interest as he comes back and he goes, oh, I just got off the phone to Dale. I had something about a, a microwave oven. And Slater's like, oh, really? And that's obviously how it all kind of... Everything kind of goes from there, really. Yeah, so I'm assuming it has just been stolen there and then. And to be fair, if you think about this even a bit more deeply, which we probably shouldn't, it might not have even been Dale who stole it in the first place. He, he might not have actually been the thief, but because he's got the immunity, he can say he is. You don't know, do you? We never got any proof that it was actually Dale who stole it. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And plus, we know that obviously he'd never actually stitched someone up anyway, so... It's pretty good. It actually opens up a lot of questions this episode. I've never actually thought about it as in-depth as I have today, but either way, it is a really good episode, and like you said, the acting is really convincing. I'd imagine when this first aired, I certainly remember the first time I watched it, I was like, is he actually going to give himself up to Slater? So I knew Slater had, um, goes to jail, because I didn't watch them in order when I was a kid. I just watched them as and when. So I thought, oh, maybe the, you know, maybe he does give himself, you know, makes himself a grasp, but no one ever finds out because Slater goes to prison later. Spoiler alert for anyone out there who didn't know that. But um, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's really good. I thought the acting between Broadbent and Jason, as I've said before, was really, really solid in this episode. Yeah, it's brilliant, and it continues in the other two episodes they're in. I'm quite looking forward to them, but they're like I say, a few few weeks down the line at the moment. Um, but Slate is a good, solid character. Maybe the fact he's only in it three times, maybe that kind of keeps him that sort of good character. I don't know. I don't know if we'd have had Overkill if we'd have been in it more. Who knows? But anyway, he's a great character. Well, yeah, considering how like. How much of a hard on he's got for getting Dell behind bars? Like, if he's in it more often, it'd be like, how many times can Dell actually escape for him? But he's yeah. he's kind of like the Emperor from Star Wars, isn't he? Like, say, he only appears in like a pivotal moment, but it's always like a really big encounter when he does appear. Yeah, he certainly does have a, a couple more quite big effects on Dell's life as time goes on. But Dell, spoiler alert again, always gets the upper hand. He does indeed. Yeah, um, and that's pretty much what I've got to say about this one here, JT. Unless you've got any more tidbits there. No, that's uh, pretty much it from me as well, Breadwell. I mean, it's another good, solid episode. We haven't really had a bad one in Series 3 yet. They're better than I, I thought they were going to be. They're all pretty solid episodes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's been pretty spot on all the way through. A um, couple more to go, and then we'll be moving on to the introduction of Uncle Albert. So we've got that to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, that's that's all we've got to say about this one. But um, to all our listeners out there, thanks for joining us once again. If you like this episode or you've got any thoughts on it or thoughts on Roy Slater or any of the episodes we've been doing, then please let us know by getting in touch on Twitter at The Hyperbaric Goats, where you can also link into our movie podcast. Um, and from me, Bread Roll this week, I'm signing off. And for me, JT, just got one last thing to say. So come nine o'clock, all I could offer her was a bowl of gunge and a Baudelaire ice lolly. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices and a stroke.